Welcome to Let It Lopate at Large. I'm Let It Lopate. It's likely that you know little, if anything, about Andorra, a tiny independent principality with a population of around 80,000 situated between France and Spain in the Pyrenees Mountains. And it's likely you have never heard of Section 311, that the provision of the Patriot Act that grants the U.S. Treasury Department sweeping powers in relation to any bank in the world to protect the world's financial system. In 2015, it was used against Banca Privada d'Andorra, or BPA, on the grounds that it was being used to launder hundreds of millions of dollars on behalf of criminal gangs in Russia, China, and Venezuela. But that's just the beginning of the complicated story that writer-director Eric Marola untangles in his new documentary called The Andorra Hustle, which is currently available on YouTube and at andorrahustle.com. I'm very pleased to welcome him to our show. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, Fascinating story and underreported, and we'll get to that. Uh, the film is being described as, as a heist movie, but isn't it really about what happened to an obscure private bank in, in a plan to undermine Catalan separatism? Yes, at the end of the day, that's exactly what it is. Correct. Yeah. In the weeks following 9-11, the U.S. Congress created some wide-ranging and unprecedented emergency powers with the Patriot Act, and it, it gave the U.S. Department of Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network the power to shut down any bank in the world with a single press release called a Section 311. Now, I, I'm still not exactly sure how it worked here, It was, uh, but it's in the interest of protecting the world's financial system. Uh, did it re well, did it require evidence of wrongdoing? Well, first of all, it's obviously designed out of the USA Patriots Act, as you said, um, to protect what the in the in in its writing and its description because it is the USA Treasury. It is to protect the American financial system, which of course thus is the world. So, do your next question was does any is any evidence required to issue one of these? Uh, no, unfortunately, no. Um, and the issuance of one of these is literally a one to two page press release. And so they do it under the guise of so-called uh, secret evidence um, or, you know, it's sort of along the lines of the usual excuses that are made when something is done without any evidence. So, you know, that being said, what's also fascinating about the story is when I got into this, uh, you know, since the birth of the Section 311 in 2001, I found that only 27 banks in the world have ever had one issued against them, with 17 of those banks having them quickly withdrawn shortly after, meaning they withdrew the measure because I guess there was no longer a threat. But it's, what's also fascinating is once they issue a Section 311 against a bank, within days the bank dies because they are cut off from the U.S. dollar and thus the financial system at large, just killing the bank. So even when they withdraw it later, it really doesn't matter. They withdraw it because there's no evidence. It's because the bank is already dead. And I'll just say one more thing. What's also interesting is if the Section 311 was designed to stop drug dealing or terrorist funding, et cetera, the laundering of criminal money, then why was no Section 311 placed against HSBC for laundering a mm -hmm. billion dollars for the Sinaloa cartel or Donska Bank? Uh, you know, which laundered $230 billion for the Russian criminal organizations. And a last tidbit, if you think about... Wait, 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 I want to yeah. get into that. <laughs> yeah. Weren't right, they ahead. deemed too big to fail? So That's, that's what I was getting at, correct. Yeah. So 
isn't that interesting that they are allowed to continue on, they get a slap on the wrist, while the smaller banks um, get Section 311s hit against them. The moral of it all is, is that this Section 311 is not being used for what it's described. It's instead being used as a political weapon, kind of like a, you know, a remote-controlled drone strike you know, that we see in the Middle East, but for banks. Yeah. So, uh, as you say, if, uh, is it called FinCEN? The, yeah, uh, the, mm-hmm. So if they issue a press release saying it's found uh, that reasonable grounds exist for believing a non-U.S. financial institution is involved in money laundering, um, it's pretty much destroying the ability of that institution to do business. And someone in the film says that it's like stabbing someone and saying, I stuck the knife in, but it was your decision to die. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. So FinCEN doesn't have to show uh, the evidence before or after issuing a press release? No, unfortunately, no. In fact, in this case, the owners of the bank hired some powerful American attorneys and took the U.S. Treasury to court in the United States to demand why you know, the evidence that they you know, supposedly had to, uh, to cause such an initiation of such magnitude. And instead of the U.S. Treasury saying, OK, we'll show you the evidence, they said, what they always say is, oh, we'll just withdraw the measure. So that way this whole thing goes away. So they withdraw this Section 311. The bank's already dead, laying on the ground. And they go, oh, sorry, our mistake, you know, and then off they go. But the, again, but the political goal of taking the bank out has been met. So, yeah. Do they have to give advance warning or explain why the situation is an emergency and can't be addressed through normal law enforcement channels? They don't have to, no. But in this particular case, there was some secret meetings, which makes the story even more fascinating, between the Andorran leadership and, of course, between America and Spain. Um, so, and uh, well, you know, that's, that's each case is different, but to answer your question without getting long-winded, no. They, they do not need to give you any forewarning, no. no. And, and they don't have to give the financial institution a chance to respond. But hasn't it been argued that the Patriot Act is unconstitutional because it violates the Fourth Amendment, which says that the government cannot conduct a search without obtaining a warrant and, and showing probable cause that a crime has or will be committed? Absolutely. But what makes it even more sort of sinister is that you're talking about this power within the Patriot Act that doesn't even um, involve anything within American jurisdiction. <laughs> so this is, you know, Andorra isn't mm-hmm. even a part of the European Union. They don't even they don't even have a central bank. They're not a part of the IMF. This is a completely sovereign, independent entity sitting in the middle of Europe. I mean, it's not within American jurisdiction whatsoever, but which just shows you how far reaching the Patriot Act uh, can be. And it, it shows you how uh, much I didn't know. I just thought that the Patriot Act was designed to protect the U.S. against a foreign attack. Yeah, you would think that. And if you remember in the movie, I did the math on, say, the Sinaloa cartel uh, and the amount of money that was laundered by HSBC. That's about 1,700 911s. And then the money that was laundered through by the Russians um, with no Section 311, that was like 460,000 911s. So what I'm, you know, so the, the Patriot Act, what it was designed for is clearly not being used for what it's been designed for, particularly in this case, you know, so, yeah. So there's a, the story uh, that you tell in this film begins in 2015. Why would the Obama administration seek to disrupt Catalonia's independence movement? You know, I don't know 
if it, the Obama administration, what their involvement was. But what happened in this case, um, which, by the way, it's so interesting, uh, we can get to later, because of the movie, things are starting to explode over there, based on what I'm about to say. Spain, Madrid has been going, having a longstanding war with Catalonia. For those who do not know, Catalonia is the region of Spain where Barcelona is located. Mm-hmm. They're a very wealthy region, and frankly, Spain is very dependent on the income of Catalonia to survive. But the cultural people, the sort of the indigenous culture of Spain, the Catalonians, are, have been repressed for centuries, really repressed during the Franco era. But the, the, their language was was uh, forbidden. Correct. It was banned. Today, it's a correct. separate it banned language. Absolutely. Yeah, it was illegal to speak the language, read a book in Catalan, talk on the telephone in Catalan during the Franco era uh, in the mid-1900s. But once Franco died, they sort of instantly became a democracy, which is another story in and of itself. No revolution, nothing. But very much how racism in the U.S. is very prevalent, very much how, you know, anything in any country where there's a sort of a racism against the other class, if you would, yeah, Catalan is still shunned upon outside of Catalonia to speak. You can get harassed in a grocery store for speaking it. You won't get arrested anymore, but you're still quite repressed. But it's not just the culture. Um, there's a, it's a longer-standing embedded war between the two cultures that goes back centuries. So Madrid created this secret sort of special police force and created something called Operation Catalonia. And it was a very sort of shady you know, um, sort of a behind the scenes back alley sort of campaign to just do whatever they could in their power to disrupt Catalonia's uh, progress from separating from Spain. That's an important point is after all of this harassment, finally, Catalonia said, you know, we just want to separate from you people. We've had enough fighting with you. So obviously Madrid does not want that to happen. So the short of it is Madrid decided that they want to take out the Catalonian leadership's money. And they miscalculated and, this, and somehow had a feeling that it was sitting in this little bank in Andorra, not all of their money, but some of the key leaders. And they threatened this bank by saying, look, hand over these accounts of these Catalonian leaders, and if you don't, America will destroy your bank. We will have an American company to buy what's left of it. You know, they warned them. And, of course, the recording of this is in the movie. So mm. getting to the point is uh, – Spain tricked the United States Treasury with fake evidence. They just ginned up a bunch of fake evidence about the Sinaloa cartel and everything you mentioned earlier in the broadcast. And FinCEN just sort of nodded their head and went, sure, rubber stamp the Section 311 and without proving anything. So it's hard to know if the Obama administration was even aware, to be honest. I mean, it could have been, but I don't have any evidence of that. It was purely between the U.S. Treasury and Madrid. So you say that the Spanish police presented fake evidence of money laundering to the U.S. Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, the FinCEN? That's exactly what I'm saying, yes. And, uh, and a, was it, not, is it possible that there was any money laundering involved? Um, of course it was possible, but I went through it all and proved that it, there was no money laundering involved in this specific bank. And the irony is Andorra has five banks. This was one bank. Four of the – three of the other five banks in Andorra were – uh, guilty of money laundering for the exact same clients that BPA was accused of laundering from money. It's, it's so um, incredibly uh, sideways. Um, I want to point out something. This is just happening in the last 72 hours based on your question. Is it possible that they, you know, there was really money laundering? Right now, it's hard to find this in English, but in Spain, all over the mainstream news, at the highest level of television and newspaper broadcasting, it is out there now. 
probably because of my movie. No one will give me a definitive answer on this, though. But now it has escalated to Strasbourg suddenly, this whole case that we're talking about, into a human rights court in France where they know where, where they're trying to prove that Madrid, led by Mariano Rajoy, Spain's prime minister at the time, went to Andorra, which we have proof of, forced Andorra uh, to go along with this and destroying this bank. So everything is completely blowing up wide open two weeks after my movie's released. It's like a, a gift from the heavens. Like I've never seen something so rewarding doing a movie like this and have this domino effect occur. Everyone's gone running, scrambling. So it is pretty much, while the case is not finished, it is pretty much obvious that this was a complete frame job on behalf of Spain with the help of the Americans to kill this little bank, which, by the way, also stole a billion euro in the process of account holders' money. <laughs> so they went after this bank, but not other banks that they could have gone after. Uh, right. It sounds kind of personal. Um, yeah. Because I was wondering, uh, is it because uh, this is a private bank? Uh, well, they're all kind of private banks. Now, there's one personal level, since you mentioned it, um, that I didn't put in the movie because it really didn't fit completely in the story because there was just so much to tell. Is The owners of this bank are Spanish. The owners of the other mm. in Andorra. The other owners of the other banks in Andorra are Andorran. And Andorra, if you remember, Andorra until 1993, which is also so fascinating, was literally a medieval feudalistic society until 1993 until they finally became a democracy. So you're talking about generations of like the owners and the landowners and the knights and the peasants literally into the 1900s. So, you know, for these, you know, for, for a country so small owned by a small group of families to have this other family, their name is the Siercos, come into Andorra and quite successfully build a bank in Andorra. And then not only that, they expand outside of Andorra and they started branching out into Spain, becoming a legitimate onshore bank. So that made the offshore bank people in Andorra that owned them very uncomfortable and upset. How dare you come in and become legitimate while we are busy laundering mm -hmm. criminal money all day, right? So, and that's, that's another aspect to it. So if you remember, there was not just one bank in Andorra that was killed. Banco, uh, Bank of Madrid was also killed simultaneously. So there's a lot of, there's a, so many tentacles to this story. Um, you know, yes, was it personal? Absolutely. On top of the political, yes. Yeah. You're listening to Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. We're streaming at WBAI.org. And my guest is writer-director Eric Marola, who's talking about his new documentary called The Andorra Hustle. Well, so the, Andorra is, a, is an odd situation. It's a tiny principality about the size of Scottsdale, Arizona. Interestingly, the sixth smallest country in Europe, because there are even, I guess, uh, Liechtenstein and uh, Vatican and Monaco and a few others are even smaller. But it's the size of Scottsdale, Arizona. Mm -hmm. And it's governed jointly by co-princes, the French president and the Bishop of Urgell. That's complicated. Right. It's very complicated. And to see that the co-principality aspect has been a part of its history for centuries. And it wasn't until 1993 that they finally introduced a democratically elected president with a proper parliament and all of the things, you know, as I described in the beginning of its history. But yeah, so you have uh, co-princes ruling the country and a president. So it's the most, it's literally the, the only thing of its kind on earth. 
Um, there's no such thing as a co-principality anywhere on Earth, not to mention one that also has a president on top of that. <laughs> so, for example, um, you know, and, and ruled and, by uh, a neighbor and also by a member of the Catholic Church. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Do they all get along well? Well, it's I would assume no. Um, but, for example, you know, no French prime minister and no Spanish prime minister, minister had ever in the history of humanity stepped foot into Andorra until this debacle. The Spanish prime minister came into Andorra uh, two months before the March uh, Section 311 in 2015 to work out this backroom deal. And then after the killing of the bank, the French prime minister comes in, first time in history. Now, the bishop comes quite often. The one thing that is conflict is because it's the Vatican and because of abortion, Andorra, it's illegal in Andorra to have an abortion because of the co-prince of the, from the Vatican. So because it's so small, everyone just leaves the country to get an abortion if they want one. So there's conflict there. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of conflict. <laughs> Anything that small with so many ruling things pushing and pulling, there's conflict, yes. On the other hand, hasn't Andorra's economy been strong because of tourism and because the country is basically a duty-free zone? Yes. In fact, their entire economy relies exclusively on skiing because it's in the Pyrenees Mountains. Um, it's a great, some of the best skiing in the region and uh, the banking system. Yes, and duty-free as well. So those three categories are what keeps it going. So if you think about that, with COVID now here, um, especially earlier in the year, their economy had been floundering, and they're still not in very good shape. And then my movie comes out, ex you know, exploding this horrendous scandal where it's basically proven that the Andorran government stole this one billion euro from these innocent people while placing a bunch of innocent people in jail. And now it's all backfiring. And so Andorra, this could really sink the country. It's very, I have a lot of compassion for the population, but the leadership is scrambling right now to figure out a way uh, to fix this suddenly after five years of this. So yeah, I mean, they're already in rough shape, um, but yeah, without tourism, they would not exist. And of course the banking system as well. And the banking system is important. So wouldn't the Andorran government have been concerned by how a shutdown would affect all of its citizens who bank at BPA? You would think so. But as you dig deep into the story, you realize that, and in fact, it was just said in the last 48 hours, it's finally coming to the surface where witnesses are admitting that we're a part of this deal saying, look, if you do not kill this bank, we will kill your entire banking system, mm. period, with, with America you know, wielding the club. Um, that's what Spain said. That's what Mariana Rajoy, Spain's prime minister, told the leadership of Andorra at the time in early 2015. So Andorra had no choice. They were bullied into allowing BPA to fail to protect the larger um, you know, picture. So they just circled the wagons around the other banks and allowed BPA to go up in flames for these political goals. Yeah. You talk about the impact it's having in Spain now, your film. But mm -hmm. didn't the story get pretty much buried? Much of the mainstream news reporting on the closing of BPA, uh, I'm not even sure that it was covered very much in this country, reported that BPA was shut down due to money laundering activity concerning, as you said, the Sinaloa drug cartel, the Venezuelan government, and Russian and Chinese mafias. Right. Uh, what happened? I, like, yeah. Go ahead. This sounds to me like uh, the perfect example of, of fake news. Absolutely. What, when the Bloomberg did cover it, a lot of big American financial institutions, uh, papers covered this. 
but it didn't really make it to television. But all they did was simply kind of make a carbon copy of the Section 311 itself, which is just filled with half-truths and mostly invented, uh, you know, sentences based on non-existent evidence. You know, they, most journalism, as you know, is very lazy. So they go, oh, this seems like an event involves the United States. Let's just copy and paste what the FinCEN press release says and publish it in Bloomberg. So that's, that was the extent of the coverage. But to answer your question, what's so gratifying is after five years of silence, in the last 72 hours, everything's been blown wide open coincidentally, two weeks after my movie. I don't dare say it's all my movie. Um, I mean, everybody else is saying so, but I'm just <laughs> sort of so shocked that this is take happening. Take the credit. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take the credit, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> a few weeks is, after BPA was seized and destroyed, uh, a, a private equity firm from the United States, J.C. Flowers, purchased it at an 86% discount. Had that been part of the plan from the start? It appears, yes. And if you remember from the hidden recording that was made public in my documentary, where the Spanish attache uh, for Andorra, uh, who was tied to the Spanish police, uh, threatened the head of BPA, the CEO, and said, look, if you don't hand over these specific accounts, we will have America destroy your bank. And we will also have a, we also have an American company lined up to purchase what's left of it. And so they did not mention J.C. Flowers in the recording. But what's more interesting is, and as I said in the movie, that the J.C. Flowers transaction deserves its own documentary. Mm. What happened was in the beginning, they said, OK, we, we've killed the bank. We've created a new bank that we move some of the assets over while we're, we'll keep this one billion in this, in, as they call it, the tomb that basically has been stolen. They... They, they wanted a local um, you know, investment firm to buy this bank, and, and they wanted a firm to be, to be like committed to the Andorran you know, community and stay around for a while. But Jordi Singa, the head of finance, had already prearranged a deal with J.C. Flowers. This was all verbal. I got the on-the-ground witnesses that told me all of this, but I do have the documents to prove what the guidelines were supposed to be. There was a company called Key Capital that was willing to pay 100% value of this bank, and it was a local uh, investment firm that was going to remain in Andorra with this new bank. But instead of that bank being allowed to pay full price for it, they said, no, 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 you're not allowed to buy this. We're selling it to these American guys for 86% off. So you just do the math on that. <laughs> so, and, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, just look into J.C. Flowers' previous history. Is there a link between them and FinCEN? I mean, I would say clearly, but there's no evidence of that. So I did not say that in the movie. You just have to come to your own conclusions on that one. So, so they're buying it at 86%. What are they getting? Because um, weren't, uh, didn't a lot of people who just banked at, at, at uh, J BPA lose their money in the process? Yeah, they did. What happened was because BPA was accused of money laundering, it was a long, laborious process of trying to, quote, unquote, separate the bad money from the good money. So PricewaterhouseCoopers, another American firm, was brought in. Under the um, under the uh, you know permission of the head of uh, finance in Endor, this guy named Jordi Sinka, who by the way was also a blood and diamond smuggler, which I also point out <laughs> before he had this position, um, he contracted PricewaterhouseCoopers to to audit the bank to find the criminal money. They couldn't find anything, so they just selected a certain group to just rubber stamp, boom, bad money, and all the rest is good money. So to answer your question. Yes, I mean they had to they had to continue the theatrical charade to make it seem like a crime had been committed. So uh, about three thousand accounts have been held, but it's, it makes up for thirty five percent of the total. I mean, back up. 
35% of the monetary value of deposits have been held, but it only makes up for something like 7% of, of the clients. So they just hmm. took what it seems to be the larger account holders, uh, the most money, held those as criminal and let the rest go. Meanwhile, simultaneously, of course, there's a bunch of bankers also facing charges that don't exist. So this, it was an incredible creative theater that was created to give the illusion that this was really happening. And yes, a billion euros, people that lost their retirements, uh, the people that had no ability to send their children to college, people that couldn't pay their medical bills, their money was stolen from them, correct? Isn't Price Waterhouse culpable? It doesn't come across uh, very well uh, yeah. <laughs> to in anyone fact, who's watching the film. Yeah, in fact, um, it seems quite obvious that PricewaterhouseCooper was culpable. I mean, not only do you have the on-the-ground witnesses that saw what they did, but there are also lawsuits in the works coming out of uh, Andorra, to, and well, mainly from the account holders themselves that are still furious. I mean, as you saw, some people lost $200 million in this. The yeah. owners of the bank lost $400 million in this. I mean, their money was wiped out. So you're, they have you know, enough resources and they have enough anger, or they're going to be taking PricewaterhouseCooper to court in the United States to, to, to you know, basically say, you guys committed illegal acts in this audit. So that's all in the works as well. It's another tentacle of the story. What about the, 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 uh, the leadership of Andorra? Uh, did they come out of this in, in good shape? Would, uh, did they, uh, uh, did they uh, make money as a result? Well, we can only jump to conclusions there. I, um, considering that Jordi Sinka, who brokered all the deals, the Minister of Finance of Andorra, who now, by the way, has been promoted to the guy that's in charge of all of Andorra's retirement money, which is really just – he, before this, he was not only in the Panama Papers, but he was caught red-handed supporting a, 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 a warlord who's been facing 50 years in jail for crimes against humanity by smuggling uh, gold and diamonds. This is, that was the Minister of Finance. So you can only imagine, if he's willing to go to that degree, would, would he probably have lined his pockets? Probably. Do I have proof of that? Unfortunately, no. But the Andorran leadership um, is, is, on that note, yeah, I, it's hard to know. I, I didn't want to put anything in the movie I could not prove. You know, you, there has to be a lot of question marks, and you have to kind of use logic and common sense on where, what happened, you know. So, but it, considering Andorra's history and, the, you know, the sort of criminal history of the country, excluding BPA in this case, as crazy as that sounds, um, that would be something they would do. Like, here's a quick example. Remember when the Heineken founder, Beer Heineken, was kidnapped and a ransom was paid? Remember that old story? Well, the ransom was paid in an Andorran bank, <laughs> not BPA, one of the other ones. So, and, and all the politicians at the time suddenly started buying houses and condos, and you know, this is documented. So it's, Andorra has a history of some shady dealings, and uh, so I would say probably yes. Is it just a matter of people losing money? Doesn't the film claim that dozens of innocent civilians have faced prison for money laundering crimes that never existed? Correct. Because you, in order for this theatrical charade to continue, you need to incriminate the employees of the bank who allegedly allowed the money laundering to occur. So, yes, there's at least two dozen uh, bankers and also their attorneys have even been charged for representing them. So well, it's interesting, though. Uh, since my movie, if you remember the China case, the, the Operation Emperor case, the alleged money laundering of human trafficking and drug dealing, et cetera, well, just last week, coincidentally, shortly after my movie was released, the, a high Spanish court said, no, 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 there was no human trafficking in this case. There was no uh, drug trafficking in this case. All these people were doing was abating Spanish taxes. That was not illegal in Andorra. I mean, that's a separate jurisdiction. That is our, pro our problem to arrest them and prosecute them for that. So we need to throw out 
all of these, you know, drug and human trafficking things throughout the door. So because of that, that case is going to completely uh, is already evaporated in Andorra. So it's being whittled down um, slowly and being in, every day it shows more and more. Not only does I show it in the, do I show it in the movie, but every day more and more we see that these bankers, their only crime was showing up on March 10, 2015. That is all to work, showing up to work. Did any of them go to jail? Yes, one of them, but he's out now. So within hours after the Section 311 in March of 2015, the CEO of BPA was scooped up and arrested and spent two years in jail without charges. And in Andorra, which is a frightening reality, which could happen to you or me if you visit there, you can be arrested in Andorra and held for two years without charges based on Andorran law. (laughs) Which, you know. So, yeah, um, and I, I mean, obviously it doesn't happen every day there, but that's what they did to this guy. And meanwhile, while he was sitting in that jail for two years, he knew that he had on his iPhone cloud the recording that said verbatim what had just happened to him a year prior. He knew he had this in his possession, and he couldn't release it until after he got out of jail. <laughs> so, so you yeah. couldn't just go to a lawyer and, and demand to be heard? Well, I'm sure he did that. So to be more specific on this, they took his phone from him and they wiped it, uh, the Andorran uh, police. But luckily for him, he had it saved to the cloud, but he had no access to that until he got out of prison. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. We are streaming at WBAI.org. And we're going to take a little break. Be right back. Andorra may be a small country, but it has a rather stirring national anthem. We are speaking to Eric Marola, uh, the writer-director of a new documentary called The Andorra Hustle, uh, which has uh, been creating quite a stir. Uh, and it's available now on YouTube and also on uh, at, the what is it, andorrahustle.com. But um, wasn't it originally uh, made available on uh, Amazon Prime Video? Uh, uh, Are you free to to talk about why it isn't there anymore? Uh, Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. So after much labor of making this movie in not only English, but a fully Spanish version and a fully Catalonian version, for mainly for the Catalonian people, I figured why not go ahead and do that too. When I say fully Spanish, I'm talking about a completely different narrator. All of the graphics are in Spanish. The title is in Spanish, etc. After a long, laborious process of delivering everything to Amazon Prime, it, every, we, uh, it went up. And um, within the first 24 hours, it disappeared from the Amazon search engine. So all over Twitter, people are upset, especially the Catalonian population, as you can imagine. Emails coming in, why can't I find your movie? 
I'm like, that's very weird. So I'm emailing my distributor who's emailing the aggregator who then gets to Amazon. Me as a filmmaker, you do not have a direct line in Amazon Prime. There's a level of bureaucratic middlemen between you, between me and them. So then um, we we decided, okay, this is really odd. The movie has had huge traction, a huge explosion, unexpectedly, very quickly. I threw it up on YouTube because I was ready to go with it on YouTube. Anyway, it was always my plan eventually. So and then it, it really exploded as the old so-called Streisand effect. When something seems to be censored, it backfires, and then it, ever, it becomes more famous than ever. So the movie's release date was September 4th. By September 10th, Amazon finally ripped it down entirely, completely gone from existence in the American territory, United Kingdom territory, all of Latin America, and, of course, Spain and Andorra. So when I'm asking for an explanation... I get a, a barrage of excuses. One is like, oh, it's secret. We can't tell you. The other one is, well, you know, we are a private company. We can take down any movie we wish. We don't owe you anything. And then the final really nail in the coffin really is when my aggregator, who has the closest relationship to Amazon, said, sorry, Eric, we are under a non-disclosure. We cannot <clears throat> tell you. So you have to kind of use common sense here. I mean, six days after its release, I do know for a fact, because I have a lot of insiders on the ground, particularly in, in Andorra, that the Andorran president office was you know, berating Amazon. So when, even though Andorra is small, when you get letters from the president of a country furious about something you're streaming, I mean, I'm sure it has an impact. And I'm sure their relationship with Madrid, they probably had the prime minister's office of Spain also harassing Amazon. With enough harassment, Amazon yanked it. I have no proof of the exact series of events, but you have to use common sense and logic in this instance. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, so, yeah, that's what happened. So, uh, I guess, again, I should be proud. I clearly did something right enough for Amazon to censor a movie merely six days after it was on its platform. Yeah. So, so since uh, a bank can be closed down with, with really no evidence, <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised right. that, that a film could suddenly disappear from Amazon from uh, because of obvious pressure from whether it's the Spanish government or the Andorran government or the U.S. government or whatever. Right. And it's, they do it very in a very clever way. So the, the even though you can't search for it on Amazon, you can go to Google and the links will still arrive and pop up. So when you click on the link, you see the poster, you see the trailer, but it just says, sorry, this movie is not available. <laughs> so why, why do that? Why not take the whole thing down? So it lessens their sort of, you know, the way that they handle it. So it might just leave the unsuspecting person thinking, oh, well, maybe in my country I can't see it. Oh, well, you know, instead of it just being gone from existence. So, yeah. Now, you tell an incredibly complicated story in this film. It must have felt like a, a daunting task to, to untangle all of the facet, facets of this story. Um, we can go into some of them. Uh, but uh, how did you untangle them all? You must have gotten help from somebody. Well, first of all, there are many instances where I thought I got in over my head and I, I asked myself, what have I done to myself? Yeah, I will admit this. <laughs> because the truth is, um, not to be too long-winded, but I did not go into the story with the idea of telling the story that you saw. I went into the story, I'm a big fan of disruptive technology and how, like, say, the Internet disrupted everything. You know, you have the transition from the horse and carriage to the automobile, you name it. And my previous movies had to do with disruptive technologies in science and medicine and how disruptive that can be. So, for example, 
you create a magic bullet cure for cancer. That is big trouble for the industry, for example. So that being said, I wanted to branch out of the medical sort of genre. And I've always had an interest in cryptocurrency, as well as an interest in the monetary system, the banking system. And it is my opinion, my humble opinion, that I think in 20 years, we don't really will not require a bank account to store our money, to send our money, to pay for things because of the, uh, the, of the onslaught of the blockchain. There's a lot of scams in the blockchain. That's a whole other conversation. There's no question. But the, the, the underlying technology is very, very exciting when it comes to liberty and having control of your own wealth. So that being said, I was going to sort of argue the case. Um, because I'm frankly participating in this myself and to some degree, that you do not need a bank. And I was analyzing Cyprus and Argentina and, and in other monetary failures like, you know, in India, they just take out an entire denomination of a dollar, just, uh, you know, just, just remove it overnight. This happens all the time. And frankly, it's a matter of time before the American dollar suffers from hyperinflation and we experience an Argentinian or et cetera, you know, uh, everything we've seen around the world. So that being said. Wait, watch out. Like, Jamie Dodd yeah, has right. a lot of power. Say again? Jamie Dimon has a lot of clout. You better watch out. Yeah. Well, Jamie Dimon, you're talking about J.P. Morgan, correct? Yes. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. For years, he called cryptocurrency a fraud. And just in the last six months, it is revealed he's having secret meetings with the top cryptocurrency broker in the U.S., Coinbase. J.P. JP, uh, JP Morgan is now with J.P. Dimon, uh, with Dimon's uh, supervision, is now heavily invested, investing and into the cryptocurrency space. So, and even the only last one is Warren Buffett, who has not yet done it. Um, Fidelity has been mining Bitcoin and Ethereum since 2015. So these guys know what's on the horizon. But the point is, in this little journey uh, investigating this world, I, of course, discovered the bank killer law, Section 311. Like, and that led me down the rabbit hole to find BPA. So BPA was honestly was just going to be an example bank. In this obscure little country, it just seemed charming. It seemed like a cool place to start. And I really was interested in the whole Section 311 law, as we previously discussed. But once I got on the ground, once I dug deeper, because I, just like you, assumed they were probably guilty of money laundering. After all, we look at where they're located. It's an offshore haven, right? I realized that they're not only innocent, right? That was, uh, that was an absolute re revelation. But then when I realized that this was about a war between Madrid and Catalonia, I said, what is this cryptocurrency idea? Forget about that. I mean, this is the story right here. So here's your question. It was a long, grueling year and a half of full time spending 50% of my life in Andorra or Barcelona. And, and as you saw, I went to Belgium as well to interview a president in exile. You know, it's just one of those stories like you just, you just become obsessed. You stick with it. You stick with it. You untangle it and you keep untangling it. You keep verifying if this is right or that and the other. You find documents to verify this and that. And before you know it, you've got a story. And so I won't say it was easy, but uh, it was a long, long process. But it's part of the fun of my job is to try to take a challenge like that and see if you can untangle it, you know. So you had to uh, untangle the intricacies of international financial regulation, uh, yeah. illegal money laundering, <laughs> and yeah. even uh, it's slightly over the line legal versions. Um, yeah. You had to deal with dis diplomacy issues, with legal challenges, um, with all of the uh, entities that review millions of transactions and track billions of dollars in, and of course, uh, U.S. law. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, suddenly I'm interviewing former presidents of Catalonia. I mean, I've never had such a caliber of interviewee in my career, you know, and doors just flew open once people realized what I was on to. 
because I'm, I'm again, I'm one of the first journalists to break this story, which makes it so exciting that in the last 72 hours, everything that I that is in this movie is being vindicated on national television across Spain, Catalonia and Andorra right now. Yeah. And is it how is it being shown in Spain and, and Andorra? And well, Catalonia is part of Spain, but how is it being shown there? When you say shown, you mean like how are they? I mean, I guess they're just going to YouTube or? Correct. What? Yeah, there's a, like it does, the English version on YouTube has a mere 12,000 views. The Spanish version on YouTube has a half a million views. Hmm. <laughs> so it gives you an idea of sort of the divide because most Americans aren't really, it's not really entirely an American story and it doesn't affect us so directly as it affects the Spanish and the Catalonians and the Andorans. But in your question, it's interesting not that you quite asked this, but basically, when the movie was first released, the sort of pro Madrid, you know, you know, sort of journalists just called this a giant conspiracy theory. How dare this guy from America say that that while trying to destroy Catalonia, that this bank was killed? How ridiculous! And then ten days later, that's all everyone can talk about because it is now bubbling to the surface with witnesses and everything, with the former head of Spain. Mariana Rajoy on the chopping block getting charges for doing exactly that. <laughs> it's and, crazy. <laughs> yeah. And you looked into the revolving door conflicts of interest when government officials get jobs at the companies they once regulated or, or prosecuted. Uh, say that one more time. I said you looked into the revolving door conflicts of interest when government officials get jobs at the companies that they once regulated or prosecuted. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, the, the best is, OK, so a woman named Jennifer Calvary, she was the head of FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. She not only greenlit or authorized the Section 311 against BPA, but she's also the same person who negotiated the slap on the wrist $1.9 billion fine against HSBC for laundering money for the Sinaloa drug cartel. That woman, they, I'm told partially out of pressure from the BPA case blowing up so badly, she left, she left FinCEN to go guess where? head of global crime enforcement for HSBC. So HSBC hired the most powerful criminal laundering enforcement person um, in the country to go work for them. So you can just do the math on that. And of course, on the lower levels in Andorra, Jordi Sinka, the famous blood diamond smuggler that I mentioned many times, who is now ahead of Andorra's retirement fund, he tried very hard at quid quo pro to become a head of PricewaterhouseCoopers in that region. And they said, no, too, much, too many reputational risks with you, sir. And that made it to the news. So, yeah, the revolving door, it's just like most industries when they bounce between regulatory and professional. When you like medicine's an easy one. If you make your way through the ranks in the FDA, pharma will pay you top dollar to come work for them because you know you have all the inside track. Same with the world of finance. Same thing. Yeah. Now, the BPA was accused of money laundering for the Sinaloa drug cartel. I've, I've heard about uh, that cartel uh, doing money laundering in the past. But some of the other people charged or, or groups charged uh, are come as a surprise to me. The Venezuelan government, it engages in money laundering. Uh, I didn't know that the Russian and Chinese mafias were even involved in, in Western banks. Well, Right. That's, I mean, well, let's take one at a time. Like Venezuela, the FinCEN notice claimed that 
PDVSA, which was the once the owner of the American gas station chain Citgo, was laundering money through BPA. This was non-existent. There wasn't a single deposit into BPA in the records from PDVSA at all. It, it was completely invented out of thin air. So there's that. The Sinaloa was literally like, beyond invented out of thin air, claiming that the Sinaloa drug cartel was selling drugs in the U.S. and sending cash large amounts of cash to Andorra, which means people would either have to be shoving this down their pants, hiding it in crates, but, you know, and sending it by boat. Why would they do that when they have HSBC right across the border <laughs> to do that for them, right? So, I mean, it, it's absolutely obscene. And I used to bank at HSBC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm no longer there. I guess I didn't engage in enough criminal activity. Right. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. It's like it's, if you really dig deep enough, it seems that nothing is more profitable than laundering money. I mean, when you can take those kinds of commissions for illegally processing money, as HSBC did and Danske Bank did, it is almost irresistible for a large commercial bank not to do that. I mean, it's not like they wouldn't be willing. I mean, look at Wells Fargo. They got you know, busted creating thousands of fake accounts. I mean, these banks will go at any length they can to continue uh, making the bottom line grow. They don't. It doesn't matter. Because they're so big, they can operate with with impunity, deal with a small fine, and just keep doing it. No big deal. So, and then you have the Russia case, which all it was was a, a famous Russian, super, you know, a decorated army general of Russia, who owns the entire system to clean all of the Russia's oil pipelines. All he did was move his money from one pocket to another pocket. So. And the guy who was his manager was involved in some really low-end tax evasion in Spain. But FinCEN, you know, ginned up this whole relationship between the two. Again, it's all about making it look good on paper for the FinCEN release. And then the China case, was, as I mentioned earlier, that has already dissolved since the release of my movie. The China case was also non-existent. It was just a guy evading taxes in Spain, which does not justify drug trafficking and human trafficking or Section 311 from America. It's just like anywhere, you know, like, you know, if you are an American and you have and you're evading taxes by putting your money in a Swiss bank or the Bahamas, it is not the Swiss bank or the Bahama bank job to police you. I mean, it's just, you know what I mean? It's like uh, money. This is how people hide money. Our, our politicians do it with, with their fake shell companies. This is just the status quo for the upper class. But in this case, all that was there was tax evasion in those cases. That's it. You know, but it's not an international crime. Yeah. Should I assume that FinCEN is still at work doing this kind of stuff? Maybe yeah, not I, in Andorra, but elsewhere? Well, I've looked. There, it has been a Yeah. I mean, they've only done 27 banks with a Section 311, and they're all tiny mom and pop unknown banks like BPA. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm sure they are, but they do have to publicly post these because it is a public press release. There hasn't been one for a little while, um, but I'm sure there will be another one coming down the road, you know, you know, TikTok. So, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, what's the current status of the Catalonian independence movement? Oh, well, um, so you uh, it's after a long, grueling process of once Franco died, and Spain became a, quote, democracy overnight without any revolution, without anything. Um, you, the, the, a sort of an independence, Catalonia independence movie, movement was created. The, the first president was a man named Jordi Pujol, who was sort of a hero in Catalonia. He's much older, but he's not in politics anymore. The next president after that was Archer Moss, who was in the movie, and then Carles Puigdemont, who was also in the movie. To answer your question, they were trying to have a public vote or a referendum, kind of like Brexit, where they wanted to have the people decide if they want to separate from Spain or not. So once 
a real public referendum occurred in late 2017, Spain came out in SWAT gear and basically beat the living daylights out of anyone and everyone of all genders and ages for trying to prevent them from voting. Simultaneously, then Puigdemont had to flee to uh, Belgium to go in exile, which where I interviewed him, while his entire cabinet is now sitting in a Spanish prison. It is the equivalent of the Republicans or the Democrats, pick a side, doesn't matter, imprisoning the other party. That's the equivalent of what's, what has happened. So imagine if Trump just imprisoned Pelosi and everybody, or if, say, Pelosi or Obama imprisoned you know, all the Republicans at the time. It doesn't matter. I'm not picking sides here. But that's what's happening in Spain. It's, it's, a, it's a total tyrannical, dictatorial iron fist that's happening right now when it comes to, to the Catalonian freedom. Even though it's a d- democracy. Quote, unquote, yeah. Now, <laughs> on that note, if you remember, Puigdemont said, you know, that Spanish transition, transition to democracy was a fake. Franco was dead in a bed, and the only thing that made Spain a democracy was purely biology. <laughs> if you look at Germany, if you look at Germany, you know, there was a war, there was a revolution, you know, that took down Hitler. And Franco was Hitler's buddy. I mean, he was doing similar yeah. things, minus the camps out in, out in the open. But as I also mentioned, Spain has more missing persons because of that era than uh, other than Cambodia. Cambodia is number one in the world of missing persons buried in, in unmarked graves. Spain is number two. And Eric, I have to leave it there. I I did do a show on Spain after Franco. So uh, people can check uh, our our, some of our past shows and and listen to that in even more detail. But uh, I definitely recommend people seeing this film, The Andorra Hustle, now available on YouTube and at AndorraHustle.com. My great thanks to Eric Marola, who wrote and directed it. It's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you very much for having me on, Leonard. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you're new to our program and would like to hear more, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes and everywhere that podcasts are available. You can find links to all of our past shows on our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. And if you want to comment on any of our shows or if you'd just like to say hello, you can reach me by email at LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I'd like to take a few minutes to ask for your support for the station. Um, If you care about Leonard Lopez at large and all of the other great WBAI programs, we need your help to keep it all going. So um, I hope you'll step up and make a contribution right now um, at whatever level you're comfortable with by going to our website, give to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602 right now to keep the unique, in-depth content that we bring you on this show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. We really need your help to get back on our feet because uh, this pandemic has played havoc with our financial situation. People who have been longtime supporters of the station suddenly find themselves um, strapped for cash. And uh, so they're not renewing their membership. Uh, If you are somebody who just hasn't renewed your membership because you forgot, we hope that you'll uh, consider renewing it now. So, but we're asking anyone who regularly tunes into Leonard Lopez at large and is financially able to go to our website, give to WBAI.org, or to call 516-620-3602 right now 
to help keep this show and this station on the air. And um, as I've been telling you over the last month or so, one great way to support WBAI without having to lay out a lot of money at any one time is to become a BAI buddy. There are listeners who contribute $10, $15, $20, whatever uh, they wish. Uh, it, it can be a lot more, in fact, to keep the station running and to show their support for what we do on this show. Um, it's really important for us because it allows us to have cash flow. We don't have to worry each week or each month about where the, the money is coming from if we have uh, enough BAI buddies already in the bank. But um, And remember that WBAI, which is this incredible experiment in radio, now 60 years old, doesn't take money from anywhere else. We don't, we are totally independent. We don't take ads. We um, we don't take grants. We depend 100% on our listeners because it allows us to um, to be free of, of pressure from, uh, look what happened with, with uh, Eric Morella's film and Amazon, uh, pressure and suddenly the film disappears. We don't have to worry about that. We only have to worry about keeping our audience engaged. Whatever level you're comfortable donating at, the important thing is that you do it right now so that we can continue to, to bring you these long form interviews on topics that we hope will be of interest to you. But please make sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And, and a big thanks to everyone who's already stepped up to support this show and this station, because as I said, we are 100% reliant on the generosity of listeners like you. Uh, so if you haven't already, why not make that call? 516-620-3602 or go to give to wbai.org and uh, become a supporter and even perhaps become a BAI buddy today. Uh, Again, one last time. Should I give the number one more time? What the heck? Uh, 516-620-3602 or go to give to wbai.org. And please do that right now so that we can keep the show going, uh, coming to you every weekday on WBAI. Uh, We've got a bunch of great guests lined up for you, but we can only keep going with your help. So we're counting on you. And we hope that you'll tune in again tomorrow when author and MSNBC contributor Chris Whipple will discuss his latest book, The Spy Masters, How the CIA Directors Shape History and the Future. Just one of the many wonderful guests that we have lined up for you. So um, as again, as, as I've been saying, please support us, allow us to keep on doing this. And we'll see you tomorrow.